Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. As uh, Steve comes up, I want to just introduce him and I want to set up a little bit for you here. We only get to do this retweet, retweet, retreat. Taught a taught footy We only get to do this retreat once every two years, and so we really um, kind of agonize over what the theme is going to be. We really seek the Lord on it together as a staff team, and um, we went in a roundabout journey to end up at this theme called "Called Out." And growing up, I don't know how it was for you, but growing up in the church and when I was in youth group and I got saved, it seemed like every Sunday there was a call to serve the Lord. It seemed like every Sunday there was an altar call that just said, if you really feel like the Lord is pulling at your heart to be a pastor or a missionary or even just to be an ambassador for Christ in your school, stand up and be named, be recognized, make your commitment publicly to give your life over to the Lord, to serve him and him only. And I grew up hearing that all the time. And out of my little youth group of two dozen kids, more than 12 of us went into full-time vocational ministry. I think part of it is a movement of God, and part of it was just that the invitation went out so often that it became a part of our lives, that we don't only live for ourselves, but we live to be his ambassadors in a dying, dark world. And so that's what we really wanted to to set as our theme this year. But we didn't want to do it in a way that produced guilt or simply a sense of duty. But but really awakening to what God has done for us so that we can go out and be fully alive and serve him. And I can't think of a better person to bring that kind of message to us than Steve. And Steve, as you come up, I just want to introduce you. I don't know if I need to introduce him, but... Though he's my younger brother, I will have to say that Steve is one of the people I have learned the most from over the course of my life. And I haven't just learned from the things he says, though he has plenty to say, um, but I've also learned from who he is and how he has made some very tough choices in his life. And so I'm really excited to hear what God has to say to us through him. Would you open your hearts and let's just welcome him up with a round of applause. great to be here with you this weekend. Um, I'm actually a little surprised because every time my brother has introduced me up to now, he always calls me his little baby brother, but he didn't do that in this introduction. To get back at him, last time he preached at our church a couple weeks ago, and I introduced him as my decrepit old brother to just emphasize how much older than me he is. Um, uh, I think this might be the third, if not fourth, Harvest Retreat that I've spoken at. Um, Whenever I speak here, it kind of reminds me of one of the very first times that I spoke at Harvest. I think it was like year two or something. uh, And there were only about like 20, 30 people gathered in the small room. And I just remember these really intense prayer meetings that we were having in the dead of winter. It was really freezing outside. And 
Um, I don't know, was anyone here back then? I mean, so much has changed. <laughs> Christian Shin, yes. <laughs> Founding members, yeah. It was, uh, those are really delightful times for me personally. Um, the theme of the retreat is called out. And um, in some ways it may seem like this is the kind of theme that you use for a campus ministry when you're 20-something-year-old or a teen and you're trying to figure your life out and what am I going to do? What's my career? Am I going to be a missionary? You know, this idea of being called out seems to be, that, that ship seems to have sailed for us, right? Now we're looking at middle age. We're thinking about sending our kids off to college, or some of us have younger kids, and uh, we're, we're rooted, we're planted here in the life that we've chosen for ourselves. In what sense are we called out? Uh, in what sense does that make sense for us? in the life stage that we're facing. And I thought that even tonight's message would really sort of hit that nail on the head as we uh, talk about this idea of your work, your mission. And so if you have your Bibles with you, would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. If not, you can see the text up here on the screen, which is going to be the text that I'm going to use to talk this evening about the idea of our work. In Ephesians 5, uh, 6, verse 5 through 8, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves in Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does whether he is slave or free. So I want to talk to you about this idea of work today and the implication that our work has, our nine to five, our our day jobs have on the sense of being called out by God to whatever mission that he has in our lives. And before we do that, I just want to play a, just a brief five minute testimonial from one of my church members. Some of you probably even know him. His name is Johan. And he's been coming to our years for the last several year to our church for the last several years, and he's experienced a bit of a, a transformation in his career life. And he shared a bit about that some years back at our church. So I'll share that testimony with you, and then we'll go on into the message itself. Hi, my name is Joe Han, and I am a software developer currently working for a company called B Swift. Before I came to B-Swift, I was at a company working for the city and I was very happy with my job because it gave me a lot of flexibility. I was able to not have to work long hours and it gave me the ability to work out during lunch and all these things that were important to me at the time, it gave me the flexibility to do. When I started coming to Emmanuel in March, this year, a lot of things in my life started to change, and God was testing me and challenging me with a lot of things about my faith. When I started working at my previous job, my family and I were living in the city, which was a requirement for my job. Once my wife started working, we decided to move out to the suburbs and just provide an uh, easier lifestyle for my family. As nice as things were at work at the time, I started to get hit with a bunch of different integrity checks. I knew that I had to live in the city, but I, I didn't, and I was using my condo's address 
and I figured, you know, it's no big deal. A lot of people are doing it. I'll never get caught. And even if I do, it's not a big deal. And also, even at work, I felt like I wasn't being uh, a quality employee because of the way the culture was at work. And I didn't know how to change things. I felt challenged, so I tried to take it upon myself to try to work harder, put in better hours, and just try to put in better quality work. But uh, something just wasn't clicking. So I decided to put my resume out and just see what other jobs and opportunities were out there in this tough job market. And I started receiving a lot of phone calls from a lot of recruiters. and. For some reason, there was one recruiter that stuck out and um, I was willing to give his client a look and he asked me about a company called B-Swift. So he sent me a URL to the website and I went and checked it out and for some reason, the website looked really familiar and I realized that a small group member of mine, actually two small group members of mine, currently work there. And all of these things, they seem like coincidences at the time, but I really see that God had paved the way and, and really given me an opportunity to uh, go to a place where I can become an employee that would be not only pleasing to my employers, but that would be pleasing to Him. When I first started working at B Swift, I kept thinking, this was a mistake. I mean, I wanted to go back to my old situation because things were so much easier. But um, now I see that those were challenges that got placed before me to really help stretch me, not only as an employee, but as a Christian, because I realized the um, attitude that I had at work had really trickled down to how I was as a Christian, as a father, as a husband, and I just felt myself becoming, for lack of a better word, just lazier. Now at work, I'm the farthest thing from lazy as I can think of. I look forward to going to work in the morning. Time goes by so quickly, and at the end of the day, I really wish I had more hours to put in more work, because there's just so much to do, and I feel more at peace inside knowing that I'm not displeasing to my employer. Now I feel that not only am I a better worker, but uh, my wife tells me that I'm a better husband and a better father to my children, which uh, means very much to me. Now I see that had God not stepped into my life, I still might be where I used to be in my old job, letting life just pass me by and not seeing all the things that God wanted for me in my life. He's constantly challenging me today with my job, with my family, just personally with my life and asking for more. One of the things or slogans at my new company is just to be more and I think that's one of the things that God is really challenging me to do is to be more than just who I am today. I know it sounds cheesy but really I didn't think I could achieve a lot of the things that I've accomplished in the past couple of months but God has really helped me through and given me the strength to not only overcome challenges at work, but to overcome just some of my own uh, personal deficiencies. And so um, I see God, God's sovereign hand in this whole situation and just want to give thanks to Him. I want to uh, begin my talk tonight by asking you, what I hope would be a provocative question, um, what is work? What is work? If I were to ask you for a dictionary definition of this concept of work, 
how would you define it? Maybe to bring a bit of a finer point to it, let me ask you another question. What is the difference between work and play? Now, at a gut level, that seems like a stupid question. At some basic level, you say, well, they're opposites. It's so obvious that they're two very different things. But if I were to really press you on it, could you really tell me the difference between work and play? For some of us, we may think, well, the distinguishing factor between work and play is the issue of pleasure. Play and leisure are fun. Work is toil and drudgery, right? But there's a problem with that distinction, isn't there? Because the truth is, a lot of people actually find enjoyment in their work. They don't find it to be toil at all. Just think about the picture of a surgeon so engrossed in a life-saving operation. Or NASA engineers watching the Mars rover that they've spent years designing touchdown for the first time on another planet. We've all heard people make comments like, I can't believe I get paid to do this, right? Because it's like I get paid to play. We also know that the opposite is true as well. Play can at times feel more like toil than pleasure. I remember back in college, this sinister game came out for the first time called Tetris. And I got hooked on it. I got addicted to it. For some reason, it was installed on every one of the computers in the computer lab, in the dorms. And I would log countless hours in the computer lab playing this meaningless game. I began to feel like a line worker in a factory. The pieces just keep coming down. You got to do something with them, right? I bet just some of you are trying to place that piece right now, aren't you, right? You're so distracted because you're trying to figure out where it should go, right? But we have all probably experienced that, haven't we? On our little iPhones or iPads where you play to the point where it's not even enjoyable anymore. And you don't know why you can't stop playing, but it feels like work now. Well, maybe pleasure is not the way to distinguish work and play. Others say, well, here's the difference. It's about your livelihood. It's about the money issue. Work is work because through work, it gives me gainful employment. The ability to earn a living. Play, on the other hand, is without any kind of financial compensation. But if you try to define work and play like that, what does it say to all of our stay-at-home moms who toil tirelessly maintaining a home, raising children, and yet the truth is they're not getting a salary from the work that they're doing. Can I get an amen from any mothers out there? <laughs> because they don't receive any financial compensation, are they not doing work? Some husbands say maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Or if somebody decided to pay you every time you went jet skiing, Would that cease to be play? As I mentioned a little moment ago, many people actually almost feel like their work is play. Now, I could go on like this and give you criteria after criteria, but I think you'll begin to discover that distinguishing between work and play 
actually becomes more difficult than it sounds. Well, what can we point to to try to make that distinction that'll stick? I think this definition gets us started in thinking in the right way. Work is any intentional activity done for the purpose of accomplishing or achieving a goal outside of the activity itself. Okay? Now, that's kind of confusing, so let me read that again. Work is any intentional activity done for the purpose of accomplishing a goal outside of the activity itself. Let me try to explain that a bit. When I play tennis, I play for the joy of the game. When I play cards with friends, it's simply so that I can have fun for that evening. When I paint a picture, I do so out of the enjoyment of the exercising of my artistic talents and the relaxation that that activity provides itself. In other words, the activity itself in play justifies what I'm doing. But when I work, whether it's mowing the lawn, raising children, or working for an internet startup, the goals of that work extend beyond the tasks themselves. I am changing these diapers because I am trying to nurture the next generation. I am trying to design the next generation search engine to make search better for the world. You see, there's something greater than the task itself which makes that work. So that's why you can say that for a mother who never gets paid raising her children, at least not in the traditional way we think of it, that is work. By defining work in this way, it draws our attention to the most important questions that we can ask about work. Why do we work? When it comes to our careers, what are our goals? Tim Keller talks about two unbiblical ways in which work is often defined. View one is work as a curse, a necessary evil. In this perspective, work is actually rather meaningless. You work because you have to work, and we have to work because we live in a broken world in which survival is tough. Many creation myths outside of the Bible reflect this worldview. The Sumerian creation myth was describing a situation in which men were created to relieve the labor of the gods. We were, in essence, a slave race created to make the life of the gods easier. It's hard to imagine how to embrace a joyful view of work if that's what you actually believe is the origin of work, isn't it? How could you not become bitter and resentful at everything you're asked to do? In Greek mythology, Sisyphus is condemned by the gods to push this heavy rock up a hill day after day. And just as he reaches the top of that hill, the rock rolls down again. And it describes the absurdity of work in a fallen and broken world. Sometimes our jobs feel that way, doesn't it? You're repeating the same meaningless task over and over again, and you begin to wonder, what's the point? Maybe some of you feel that way because you're working in a company. You're working for a system that's so dysfunctional that the idea of trying to find any personal meaning or greater significance feels almost absurd. 
There is no higher purpose in this company. There is no greater good here. It's all broken. It's all messed up. In this view of work as a curse, the only escape is leisure and pleasure and rest. Work should be avoided at all costs. The less you work, the better off you are. Whatever gets you to the next day, do the bare minimum. So we tolerate the drudgery of work because the truth is we live for the weekend, right? And almost every workplace I've been in, almost somebody has put up a sign like this, right? Thank God it's Friday. Don't you have these in your workplace? Someone's put it up, right? TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Just survive the Monday through Friday because the weekend's coming. And then when the weekend is not enticement enough, it's about the vacation, right? It's that trip you're going to take to Cancun with your friends or going to Orlando with family. And all you can think about is that vacation that's coming to get you through the weeks until that time. Some commit the error of viewing work as meaningless curse. There's an opposite error of seeking ultimate meaning through our work. The second work view, view of work is work is idolatry that which gives me ultimate meaning in my life. In other words, I try to define my sense of worth, my validation by the work I produce, how productive I am, how high I climb the corporate ladder, what titles I bear, what degrees I hold at what universities. Why? Because my work defines me. Think of all the ways that work provides that sense of worth and fulfillment, the prestige of titles and influence and authority. I remember the first medical practice that I signed on with and being shown that this was my office and I had this huge oak table and I had assistants and nurses under my beck and call and wow, it was really heady stuff. The sense of fulfillment and pride when we've done our job well. The joy and satisfaction of utilizing our gifts and abilities the world of possibilities that opens up because of our salaries. I remember the first paycheck that I got as a doctor. I freaked out. I said, every two weeks I'm going to get this check? (laughs) I said, you got to be kidding me. There is this intoxicating allure of work, isn't there, that makes it such a great temptation toward idolatry. Many of the forced labor camps of World War II, the Nazis hung this sign at the gate, Arbit mocked Frei, which is German for work will set you free. It was a cruel joke by the Nazi soldiers, giving a false hope to these Jewish workers, making them think, if you just work hard enough, maybe one day we'll set you free. Of course, no one was ever set free They were worked to death. But here is the scary thing is, how many of us live under that same lie? Work will set me free. In my work, I feel a sense of validation that I'm worth something, that I'm valuable, that I count. The workaholism statistics that are captured in every study reflect this idolatry. Look at these stats. The U.S. ranks fourth 
in the, all the nations of the world for the number of average work hours per year. Look at South Korea. though; <laughs> It's even worse, okay? It's really bad, okay? Those of you working in the marketplace know this dynamic, don't you? You reach some point where your company is going to expect you to be all in. If you want to keep climbing that ladder, being promoted, you're going to have to sell your soul to the company. The very engines of our economy are driven by this obsessive idolatry of work. And this is what the Bible says. According to scripture, your work is neither meaningless toil, nor can it be the source of ultimate meaning. Although work has become a curse under the sin of Adam and Eve, work itself is not a curse. In fact, Adam and Eve were commanded to work in the Garden of Eden before sin even entered. It was part of God's good creation before the fall. What the Bible tells us is that as we surrender our work to the Lordship of Christ, our work becomes worship. The biblical view of work is this, work as worship, giving glory to God and accomplishing his kingdom goals. Why do we work? So that we might represent Christ to our world through our work. It is this understanding of work that has given this idea of vocation or calling, that God has called me out to a specific part of maintaining his creation. And as I do that, I represent him in that place of work, whether it's at home raising children or in a Fortune 500 company or an internet startup. It means that every day we display the lordship of Christ by the way that we conduct ourselves in our work with integrity and diligence and compassion. It means that every time I work, it gives me the opportunity to testify of the one for whom I work. I think there's this real danger of sort of compartmentalizing our lives, you know. Um, (laughs) Being a missionary in Africa, I remember there was one summer when we, our family vacationed, uh, as we would time to time again, to Mombasa, the beach. And we were going there to actually check out a Bible college where I might start working. But since we were at the beach, we thought, let's do a little swimming. And I didn't want to pay for the five-star hotels. So we ended up getting this budget hotel for the first couple of days we were there. And when we got there, like, they didn't have our room ready. And we were exhausted after a 12-hour drive from the capital city. And then when we finally got our rooms, they had no towels for us. And everything was going wrong. And I had had enough. And I got to the front desk. And I began to yell at the front desk saying, How can you treat us this way? This is a travesty. How dare you? And I was saying, and then something just clicked and I forgot, oh yeah, I'm a missionary here in this country. But you see, when I was at that hotel, I forgot I was a missionary. I thought I was a tourist again. I thought like I was in America again. So I acted like a tourist. You see, it's so easy how we can compartmentalize our life, isn't it? In this setting, I know to behave this way. In this setting, I know how to behave that way. And we do that with our work life, don't we? When I'm here, I raise my hand and I praise God. When I go to work, it's a whole different picture. You would not recognize me. 
And I am surprised when I counsel young adults how much of this consumeristic mentality gets captured in this seeking of an ideal work situation. It seems like work is all about our need for fulfillment, of meeting our needs, of securing our dreams. And so I sign... I find constantly Christians griping about their work situation, how miserable it is and how they want to get out from under it and how they're praying that God would open up a door for somewhere else for them. And listen, God may very well lead you to another workplace. I don't know. But I want to address a deeper heart issue that often underlies our attitude toward the places where we're working. Because I think a lot of the restlessness and dissatisfaction, even among Christians, when it comes to work, is we don't really see it as a place of calling. We don't think of it as a sphere of ministry. We're always trying to move to the next great thing in our lives. And here's a thought is, maybe God wants to use you right where you are, in that broken, toxic work environment that you can't stand another day being in. Maybe, in fact, it's that very brokenness for which God has called you there, to be a light and a witness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 to 22 says, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down to all churches in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. As Paul taught the Corinthian Christians, often the current situation is the exact situation in which God wants to fulfill his plans in your life. And I worry. I worry that for a lot of Christians, this quote, searching for God's will, And this constant search for the next thing when it comes to our careers is nothing more than the more general reflection of the job dissatisfaction that seems to capture the spirit in just about every workplace. If you look at the data, it's resounding. 19% of people say they are satisfied with their job. 16% say they were somewhat satisfied. 21% say they were somewhat unsatisfied. And 44% say that they are unsatisfied. In other words, two-thirds of people in the workforce in America are currently unhappy with their jobs. And I don't think a poll taken among Christians would be any different. In fact, it's not even, even different in ministry. The average pastor lasts three and a half to five years in a church before he moves on to greener pastures. It's sad, isn't it? Now, I'm tackling this issue of slavery, so I need to just say a few brief words. Um, It can almost sound like Paul is condoning slavery. 
and I don't think he is. Um, I don't want to get too deep into this discussion of slavery, but the truth is that slavery was a deeply entrenched institution in Paul's world. Some historians estimate that there were as many as 60 million slaves in the broader Roman Empire in the days of the early church. In other words, slavery was not about to disappear anytime soon. But it would have been negligent for Paul to ignore this issue of slavery. And so his point was not to make a case either against or for slavery, but he was saying that as Christians, how do we wrestle with the way in which our faith should inform us, whether you're a slave or a master or a freed person? Uh, you can just look at Galatians chapter 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. There are plenty of New Testament teachings that plant the seed that would later result in the abolition of slavery in many parts in the world. And often they were driven by Christians with biblical conviction. So that's, that's about all I want to say about that. But I just want us to think of it this way. If you think you have a bad work situation, think about these guys, okay? It doesn't get any more toxic than slavery. You are basically considered the property of another person at the mercy of your master's whim. There were very few rewards in the work of a slave and the constant fear of punishment. There was pretty much very little hope of advancement. There were no labor laws or unions. All of the sweat and toil was for the benefit of your master with little personal gain as a slave. You want to talk about difficult work environments? It doesn't get any worse than a slave. And here is the question then. What possible deeper meaning or satisfaction could a slave possibly find in his labor or her labor? It's hard to find anything that would motivate a person to work hard in that setting, isn't it? So this is what Paul says. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. The literal translation from the Greek would be something like, not according to eye service as people pleasers. In other words, you as a slave don't work hard just when your master's eye is on you because you are working for a higher purpose. Perform your work with integrity and passion. Ephesians 6, 6 6-8, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. The parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24 says, Whatever you do, work at, it all with, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That is the motivation of the Christian is, My boss may be a horrible person. My coworkers are toxic and they're trying to bring me down. And the whole feel that I feel like I'm working in feels corrupt at times. It's all broken. It's all messed up. But what the Bible is saying is, there is a bigger picture here. When God is in the picture, even in that brokenness, there is purpose and meaning in the work that you do. 
The truth is, I think probably if we were to pull harvest here, probably many of you are not happy with your job situation. I'm guessing some of you have this level of dissatisfaction of thinking that if I could get away from this, I would. And I just want to say, maybe, I don't know, maybe God does have other plans for you. But can I also challenge you that maybe you're viewing your work more as a consumer than as a disciple. And maybe it's that very brokenness of the place you go to every day that you show up to every morning. That is the reason why God has brought you to that place, to be his light, his salt, his witness. Let me just close with this and I'll wrap up. Um, When I first started working as a doctor, I ended up in this practice with about 25 other physicians in the Chicago area, primary care doctors, that uh, I don't know how else to describe it. It was very toxic. I felt like the senior partners of the group were totally abusing the younger, newer employees, of which I was one. And they were... (laughs) The senior partners that were in my office, we had about a dozen offices in the Chicagoland area. And they would freely overbook my schedule. And if they didn't want to see someone, they said, give it to Dr. Lee, you know. And I was easily seeing like 30, 40 patients a day in addition to rounding in three separate hospitals. By the time I got to my office, I was already typically an hour and a half behind before I even saw the first patient. And after about six months of this, my wife was looking at me saying, I don't like how you are when you come home from work. You're a nasty man. (laughs) Like, I wish you would just stay at work because you are not a kind person when you come home. And I wasn't. I was resentful. I was grumbling. I was angry. I was overworked. I was exhausted. And I remember coming to God at that time and saying, this can't go on like this. I can't survive like this. If I cannot meet you here in this place, then what I told God is I have no right going thousands of miles away to be a missionary doctor in Africa. If I cannot be a doctor for you here in America. And that began a journey for me of seeking what it means to be under the lordship of Jesus when it came to my work. I realized that I never prayed when I was at work. I looked at everyone through human eyes. No one was a soul in need of Jesus in my work. I hated everyone. So I just began with prayer. Every morning I went into the office. I began with about five minutes of prayer at my desk and said, change my heart, change my heart. And I began to pray for every patient before I went into the room. Lord, give me the wisdom to treat this patient appropriately. Lord, heal this patient. These were all silent prayers because I didn't have the guts to pray out loud with any of them at that time. I remember thinking about my coworkers and saying, these are people who need Jesus. And I remember the doctors in our practice aid in their offices while all the nurses and subordinate staff, the ancillary staff, ate in the staff lounge. But, you know, I thought, how can I ever witness to these people if I never interact with them? So I began to eat in the staff lounge. When I first did it, 
everyone stopped talking. And they stared at me. And they said, Dr. Lee, the doctors don't eat here. (laughs) Meaning, we don't want you here. And I said, yeah, I know. I know that. I know that that's our work culture here. But I just want to eat my lunch here in the lounge. The truth was almost all of them were middle-aged women and grandmothers even. And they would talk about soap operas and cross-stitching and needlepoint. I had nothing in common with these women. So for the first five times I did this, I, I sat alone in a table by myself while they all sat with themselves. And I said, what am I doing? This is so dumb. But persisting week after week, eventually I think they just felt bad for me and some of them sat with me. And then they began to ask, oh, Dr. Lee, how many kids do you have? And what's your family like? And then I began to talk about how we're heading out to Africa to do mission work and began to find open doors to witness to some of them. Remember, throughout this time, I was praying to God, saying, God, give me courage to actually pray with and not just for some of these patients. And this was going, that prayer was going on for months when finally this young lady showed up in my office, 20-something-year-old, with a little toddler and a baby, an infant in a, in a stroller. She was there for a pre-op physical. I don't know what she was getting. It had to have been something simple, maybe. I don't know, but... I looked at her chart, and it said colon cancer. And I said, she's like 20-something-year-old. How could she have colon cancer? Went in there and interviewed her. And uh, sure enough, she confirmed it, that she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And she was going in for surgery a couple days later. I was about an hour behind in seeing patients, and I was just trying to breeze through this physical But I could see that she was distraught. And when I went back to give her the lab requisition forms and get her tucked away and sent out the door, I just prayed for heroic courage as an introvert. And I said in a trembling voice, can I pray with you? And when I said that, the floodgates just opened. And she just burst out in tears. And she said, yes, please, yes. And she said, this is the last day I'm allowed to nurse my infant because I'm going to be starting surgery and getting chemotherapy. And the doctors, the oncologists say, I can't nurse anymore. And she said, it's killing me that I will not be able to nurse this infant anymore. And I laid hands on her and I prayed for her and ministered to her and told her about the love of Jesus Christ. And after that day began a journey that lasted for three years in the Chicagoland area as I saw God transform my work into worship as a doctor here. And it's not about what a great guy I am. It's about the great God that we worship that wants to do that in every place of our work, wherever it may be. God's burning heart of love for the lost expressed through each one of you in your places of work. Let's pray. As we uh, get into our first night and get into this weekend and think about this theme called out, uh, let's start at this. Let's not talk about Africa or what kind of mission trips Harvest is going to do or even going out to, you know, it's great. You guys are sending another team out to Tuba City and, Uh, I know you guys are supporting a lot of missionaries, and I think that's wonderful. But I also want to draw our attention to what's right in front of us, our backyards, our places of work. 
like I said, we so easily compartmentalize our life. When I come here, I worship. I find God. But when I go to my place of work, the truth is nobody knows I'm a believer because I'm undercover. The truth is um, I cry, I complain, I grumble all the time. I, I actually hate people. I hate my coworkers. I hate my boss. And I'm sympathetic to that because that's exactly what I experienced working in the marketplace as a doctor. After six months, I actually told my wife, I have to either quit this job or something has to change because I feel like I'm going to lose my faith working this way. And I want to invite you to this journey of discovering God's heart right where you are in that place that you find so difficult. Maybe it is a tough situation. Maybe the people you're working with really give you a hard time at times. And all you're thinking about is getting away, escaping, finding greener fields. Maybe God is saying, I want to love those people through you. Maybe some of you are stay-at-home moms and you're going crazy with cabin fever, thinking, I can't change another diaper. I don't even see the point of this anymore. You're getting so frustrated. You feel like every, all the other women that you went to college with are advancing in their careers and you're seeing all of that stuff on Facebook and you feel like the world is passing you by as a stay-at-home mom. Maybe what God is saying is every diaper you change, that's a moment where you could pray for your child. Lift that soul to me as you raise the next generation of followers of Jesus Christ. I just invite you to maybe come before God right now and say, God, still my restless heart and speak to me words of love that I need to hear, of commitment to me, of purpose, because I feel like I've lost that vision. It's just, it's just all complaint now. I don't really have that perspective, that conviction anymore. And I want to get it back. I want to have your heart and mine. I want my heart to be broken by the things that break your heart. I want the very people that I resent and hate right now in my life to be people that you love through me. Could I just invite you to maybe offer that prayer to the Lord right now for a few minutes as we get ready for some time of response to the Lord. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.